the Transport Workers Union Local 513 podcast with Second Vice President Brian Parker is online and streaming. Take it away, Brian. Hello, sisters and brothers. Welcome to the TWU Local 513 podcast. Joining me today is Greg Cozy, our president here at the local. Thanks for joining me again today, Greg. Hello, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, I guess, considering considering everything that's going on uh, with the company, with the local, and the members that we represent, there's a lot of stuff going on. So I have a quite an extensive agenda here, so if you'll bear with me and let's try to get through quite a few things. First of all, if you could give us an update on COVID-19 and what's going on. All right. Well, certainly, as we all know, that the state of Texas is experiencing another spike. Unfortunately, it has affected the amount of travel, the advanced bookings for American Airlines and Envoy. So, uh, of course, that in turn affects our business. As far as uh, our members are concerned, it's a requirement that we wear facial protection inside, whether it be in the uh, gate areas or the break rooms. Uh, of course, when it's too hot outside or you can socially distance away from a coworker, you don't need to wear the facial protection then. But uh, it's really important that our guys, you know, follow through with that mandate. And obviously we, we need to continue washing our hands and, and uh, yes. making sure that we clean our surfaces and Absolutely. stuff like that. Absolutely. And we, and we are continuing to press the company to do a better job of cleaning the work areas. In fact, Uh, There was some discrepancy early on in this year about whose responsibility it was to clean the stairwells. We finally pressed the company enough to where they've rewritten the uh, cleaning contracts for one of the cleaning companies. And now we have a definitive company who's responsible for cleaning our stairwells. So we are as a local and our safety committee is, is continuing to press the company to provide us with a safe and clean work environment. And you mentioned facial protection. American has now stepped up the requirement for facial protection from what it was previously, correct? Yes, they are attempting to make it part of the uniform policy. But in the interim, what they've done is they have made facial masks available, both some that were manufactured by some of the employees and others that they've purchased. They look more uniform. And so, uh, yeah, they are consistently and constantly updating their policy as it pertains to facial protection. Now, I know the company was going to come out with an app called a Well for Work app to where you were going to go onto your phone, you were going to have to check into this app prior to coming to work and answer some questions. And I know the TWU and possibly the, the association as a whole had a lot of pushback on this app. There were a lot of things they didn't like about this app. With that said, the app is not going to become reality, right. but we are going to have some form of something there with the Well for Work. Can you explain that? Yes. So instead of the app, and just to give a little bit of context, the company wanted our our members to use this app prior to coming to work every day, 30 minutes before your commute, and basically answer a series of questions which would determine whether or not you would be able to come to work that day. There were too many questions surrounding pay, you know, surrounding who would receive the information. Was the information going to be kept in some repository to be utilized against our members at a later date? a lot of questions, a lot of concerns with that app. We were, as a union body, because it was also the agents, uh, the CWA, in addition to our brothers at the IAM, we were able to convince the company to, to move away from the app. What they've decided to do is put a lesson in our JetNet, and the lesson will be called Well for Work. The first day that you'll see it in your, in your lesson bank will be the 31st. 
and then you'll have seven days from the 31st to in order to complete the lesson. And then once you've completed the lesson, it'll be updated every 30 days. And again, it's just a series of questions and comments to determine whether or not you should be coming to work. And in addition to it, because of the inconsistencies that we've seen throughout management, as it pertains to telling people how to respond if they do have a positive test or if they have issues with the COVID testing, they have a checklist they are going to provide for the CSMs to follow. And it'll be a script that will be used system-wide, so there won't be very much deviation. Our members will then be able to get consistent, accurate information. Which they haven't received to this point. Not at all. They have not. They have been wildly inconsistent in their messaging about the response to COVID and the procedures that we should take if we just so happen to be in contact with someone or ourselves contract the, the virus. I know there's been some conflicting information between the CDC and what they require and what American Airlines company policy is, specifically in regards to if I am out getting tested and I'm waiting on results, should I report back to work until I receive those results or should I stay out? Can you talk about that? Yes. So interestingly enough, the CDC has a policy for essential employees and we are considered essential employees. And that policy is that if you are asymptomatic, meaning that you don't have any of the symptoms of the virus, but you are in the testing process, that you can come back to work. The American Airlines policy is a little different from the CDC. The American Airlines policy is that if you are in the testing mode, then you should apply for pandemic leave and stay out of work until you get your test results. Uh, we are telling our members to do that. I can't emphasize it enough that it makes no sense whatsoever, regardless of what the CDC says, it makes no sense that if you're in testing mode to come back to work, regardless of your symptomatic or asymptomatic, and possibly infect our coworkers, our brothers and sisters. It makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, that should be common sense. Uh, if you have a cause or concern, you should stay out till you know that you're negative. Speaking of COVID-19, I know we've been hit pretty hard. I know in July we had our membership meetings scheduled, and unfortunately we've had to cancel them again because here in Texas the cases have just spiked. Can you talk about Austin, San Antonio, DWH, Cargo, the ramp, and our brothers and sisters at Allied? Where are we at with COVID cases right now? So we saw a tremendous spike in our cargo facility about two weeks ago to the tune of about 11 positive cases. And just to provide a little bit of context, there are about 200 of our members who work over in cargo. So we had 11 positive cases in one week. And also during that week, people being tested, the numbers were fluctuating between 25 and 36 folks out of work on a daily basis who were just simply undergoing the testing. That's a huge amount of our sisters and brothers who were affected in one concentrated area. Our brothers over at Allied have been very fortunate that I think we've only had two reported cases there. But interestingly enough, the management team at Allied didn't see fit at first anyway to get an outside company to come in and clean the work areas. Uh, in fact, they were utilizing our utility brothers and sisters to clean the facilities. And so after speaking with Joe Carrere, the manager over there, convinced him to utilize flagship who's also providing the cleaning for us at American Airlines and in uh, concourses A and C. And so they've been doing consistent cleaning over at Allied for our brothers and sisters there in order to try to keep them healthy and safe. 
Fortunately, as far as our outstations are concerned, we haven't had a lot of reported cases there. The management there is not quite as forthcoming as it relates to whether or not it's an upstairs employee or one of our members who has contracted the virus. Fortunately, the American Airlines employees in our outstations uh, have not contracted the virus at huge rates. Well, that's some good news. COVID, we're talking about the impact it's had on our members directly and then indirectly, I guess, if you will. COVID's obviously had an impact on the airline industry, on travel in general. Where are we at with the flight schedule and everything at American? Well, in June, our flight schedule had actually increased and we saw our passenger loads increase for the month of June. However, coinciding with the spikes in Florida and in Texas, we saw our passenger loads decrease and our advanced bookings have decreased. So scheduling has decreased the schedule throughout the system and we should see a at least a 4% decrease in flights for the end of August and beginning of September. What about in our outstations, Austin and San Antonio? Well, I know in San Antonio, they are reducing the, uh, the, the frequencies to Chicago and that's going to start sometime in August. I think that's two flights a day. Okay, and uh, we'll get into a little bit more later about the possible impact on the headcount and stuff like that. Sure. Before we move into that, let's talk about Allied and what's going on at Allied outside of COVID-19. So we've been pressing Allied leadership in New York, the owners and the the leaders of the company, to uh, begin negotiations with us. Uh, As you know, our contract with Allied actually expired in March, I believe. And so uh, we've been asking for them to sit down with us, whether it be person to person or over Zoom conference, whichever methodology we could employ. But uh, we needed to begin the uh, the negotiation. Uh, We finally uh, have an agreement with them to start negotiations. We're asking our union leadership over at Ally to start taking submissions from our members as far as their wish list. I don't know if that's really the right term, but some of the things that they like to see in a new contract. So we're gathering that information in addition to uh, setting up those uh, negotiating meetings. And, and we have decided that we will be meeting by Zoom meetings because of the COVID limited travel. Okay, Greg, and outside of negotiations, uh, I know Allied's taking a very hard stand just on discipline alone. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, they are, in my opinion, and I think the opinion of the board They are absolutely intolerant of our members based on a past history as it pertains to the misfueling of aircraft. The hard stance that they're taking is that if uh, one of our members uh, misfuels an airplane, that they're going to move straight to termination. We think it's a violation of the contract. We think it's an inappropriate level of discipline. I mean, I think there are other things that you have to take into account. Of course, the seven points of just cause, you don't just move straight to termination. Yeah, they they are taking a very hard stance with a a stance that we are adamantly opposed to. Okay, let's talk about meetings, specifically membership meetings, stewards meetings. I know we've had meetings scheduled. We're trying to figure out ways to to have a meeting and social distance and protect our members. I know our members, I mean, they want to be able to come to the hall. They want to be able to come home. They have that right, and we should be trying and doing our level best to have meetings. Where are we at with membership meetings right now? Well, basically, we're we're responding to um, the restrictions placed on large gatherings by local leaders. We want to have our meetings, like you stated, 
our membership hall is considered, you know, home and we want everybody to be able to come back home. But the reality is we have a, a responsibility to keep our members safe. Some of our members make the claim that, well, we work closely together at work. You know, my counter to that is I, I don't disagree, but I'm not sure that we are entirely 100% safe at work. And so we're looking to perhaps maybe have meetings in a bigger venue where we can do, you know, greater social distancing during the meetings. We've actually explored possibly limiting the number of folks who can attend a meeting and then, of course, have more meetings per day, which would give people an opportunity to participate. So we have to explore all of those opportunities. We can't continue to not have our membership meetings. But again, we do have a responsibility to keep our, our members uh, healthy. We've kind of gotten around some of our shop steward meetings simply because there, there are not that many stewards who show up at the meetings at the same time. And then we've also expanded our conference calls with our shop stewards. So we keep them updated even more so than we have in the past using that. Okay. And speaking of uh, meetings and the union hall and everything, uh, I want to point out that during all of this, our union hall has been open every day. We haven't missed a day of work at our union hall. So it's still open for our members and that's a resource. Our members can always come by. They don't need an appointment. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about some things that why our members are coming by recently, but also for our members who have perfect attendance awards, they can come by with, if they chose the cash or a shirt or whatever, they can come by and get those at the hall at any time during Absolutely. business hours. Yeah, during so. business hours, you can come by, give us a call, and we'll, we'll have it ready for you when you, uh, when you arrive. Okay, I want to talk about something that's been discussed in a couple of meetings we've had with management, and it's the parking at DFW. And it's um, become an issue, not that we can or can't park upstairs. Um, that's not going away, at least right now. But we've had some problems with some members not parking on the levels in the areas they should, and management has uh, asked us to address that. So you, will you speak on that? Sure. Uh, it's, it's a simple thing. Um, when we were extended this, and it was something that we really fought, uh, when I say we, I'm saying our, our executive board really fought very hard to, to get for our members in order to achieve the social distancing away from riding the employee buses. One of the... Uh, the deals was the fact that we had to park in specific areas. Uh, we were able to be able to park in all of the, the different terminals, but we need to park at the upper level or the second to the top level. What we're finding is some of our members are taking advantage and they're parked in the, the one hour parking and uh, they're, they're parking in other areas that are restricted to us. And so we don't want to lose it. We think that this is a great opportunity to show the airport authority that even when things get back to normal, which hopefully they do very soon, that we can still park up front. But we have to follow the rules as it relates to this parking. We just don't want to lose it over a couple of people who don't want to follow some very simple rules. Yeah, I agree. OK, let's move into a master seniority list, a combined master seniority list. So the, the last day to submit the protest was actually June the 15th, and there was supposedly a 30-day process to go through and vet the seniority protests. They have done so, and they are awaiting company approval at this point. So I believe that the master seniority list will be completed at least by this Friday. We certainly believe that they have to have an accurate seniority list to go by as it pertains to the warn letters that are being sent out or have been sent out. 
And so I think it's really important that that list is is as accurate as possible so that folks who could possibly be affected will be notified. Okay, and we'll get into the warn letters and, you know, and the impact there in just a minute. Uh, But staying with the master seniority list, we have a bid coming up. It's not going to be a pretty bid, but we've got a bid coming up. And uh, we're going to have a combined bid with the IEM finally. Finally, yes. And we're also going to be able to CS back and forth with each other. So we will finally be able to work together, uh, maybe bid on the same cruise and everything. And we will finally be one group. Right. So with the ratification of the contract and also the finalization of the, the master seniority list, there are very few excuses as to why we would not bid together. And so it gives us an opportunity to finalize the association We will be bidding with our IAM brothers and sisters. Uh, And the other part of that, like you did state, is that we will be able to CS with one another. Now, it'll be a much easier process when we move to WorkBrain, which that won't happen until uh, January of next year for DFW. But we have uh, worked with the admin department to uh, create a methodology by which our people can uh, CS outside of WorkBrain. I think that's a good thing for everybody. And I think we need to clarify when we're talking about uh, this next bid coming up combined and CSing, we're talking about Title Three fleet service. Yes. Okay. Um, let's move into Title Two uh, GSC. They've got a vacation and a shift bid coming up. Well, the vacation bid is a little bit down the road, but they have a shift bid starting. I think it starts today. There was some issue with the shift bid because it will uh, definitely affect or possibly affect the the way the vacation bid was going to take place. So just to provide a little bit of the context, uh, the contract has changed and the contract allows our GSC brothers and also facility maintenance to bid their vacations per shift or per work area. And what we've uh, reached out to the company stating is that we would like per the contract because there is a clause in the contract that says if the local president makes the agreement with local management, then they can deviate from that methodology. So what we've asked them to do is to continue using the same vacation bidding structure that they used last year. There's a lot of questions around implementing that part of the contract. And uh, I thought it would be best that we have some very serious discussions about that before we moved into it. And we just haven't had an opportunity to do so prior to this bid. So this way, our brothers can bid where they they need to bid or where they want to bid and know that down the road when they bid their vacations, how that will affect what they bid for the vacation. Right. And uh, you mentioned tough discussions. You and I are about to get into a tough discussion, but before we do, I want to talk about the uh, recent changeover on the payroll. So now the uh, we're now paid in arrears as opposed to paid current like we were previously. So the payroll changes and payroll closes at 10 a.m. on the Tuesday before the payday on Friday. So we will now be able to see our checks on Wednesday. Is that correct? Yes. And that was one of the things I don't think that was uh, that was mentioned a couple of weeks ago as we were navigating through this process was that the uh, you get your the ability to see what your check is on the Wednesday before payday on Friday. That's a big change from before. Before it was always at uh, midnight on Saturday. You could see uh, get an advanced view of your your check. 
So it's one of the things that we've got to uh, got to get used to. And the window is now shorter for people if they have issues within their uh, if they're looking at their weekly attendance and stuff like that. They're going to need to make sure that they have that addressed before 10 a.m. on Tuesday. I know in our last meeting, we were uh, pressing the director of admin, you know, to help us out there. So our members would have a little bit more time. And he uh, is trying to facilitate to have someone there on the weekends that can help with your uh, time and attendance issues. Yeah, specifically on a Sunday, I think he's going to uh, try to arrange it to where we have at least one person who will be available to assist our members on, on Sundays. Okay, and uh, when we get that information, I'm sure the company will probably put it out and we will put that out as well. So our members know when, when those hours are available. Yes. Okay, let's move into the tough talk. Very uh, tough. Yeah, this is going to be tough. So the control crew chief positions. I know the company has identified over 60 crew chief jobs that they want to take over and take those jobs from our members and give them to CSMs. CSMs that they're hiring into the company called allocators. Two-thirds of those shifts are premium shifts. Uh, our senior crew chiefs, I mean, they're weekend shifts, two-thirds of them. Talk a little bit about that and where we're at. Okay. Those of you who know me, I always try to provide a little bit of context when I answer stuff. So just to give a little bit of the context behind it, well over a year ago in uh, Chicago, the uh, ramp manager pursued this and was uh, fought off by the local there in Chicago. Subsequently, after uh, ratification of our contract, they decided that they would take another stab at it and they being the company. And what they've done is they have taken over uh, roughly 50 jobs, uh, control positions in Chicago. And I don't know the number in Miami, but uh, starting in the bid that they had in uh, late June, those uh, crew chief positions went away and they were assumed by CSMs that were called allocator positions. They're utilizing a new technology called GS Realtime. And uh, they're utilizing that to make the, uh, the plots and everything else. Chicago, Miami, and of course this local are completely adamantly opposed to managers taking over our work. We believe contractually whether it be the old contract or the, the new joint CBA, that that work is ours. And uh, we're certainly not going to give that work up without, without a contentious fight. It's just not going to happen. So uh, Chicago uh, was first affected, and they've uh, collected a series of grievances. The president in Miami has filed a 29D grievance on behalf of his members, and uh, we, they, those two locals are pursuing the fight in arbitration. We haven't done that yet simply because it hasn't happened here yet, but we are proactively seeking any opportunity we can to try to fight it. We've been in contact with our attorney over several weeks now, getting his input, his legal opinions about what we can do legally, what steps we should take, uh, how we should you know, proceed with our fight. And uh, we will work under the advice of our attorney but, uh, we, you know, again, it, it, it doesn't just stop with, with legal fights. Our members have to be involved. We all have skin in the game. And so we, we have to be involved as well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a very contentious fight with American Airlines, and it's system-wide. 
Uh, I'll be meeting with our leadership, American Airlines leadership tomorrow to discuss this one particular issue. There'll be nothing else on the agenda. This is completely, uh, the meeting tomorrow is completely about the allocator positions. And if need be, then we'll continue to talk all the way up through the leadership chain. Yeah, I know it's caused a lot of points of contention between our relationship and local management. Uh, We have a new managing director here, and she's come here with a mandate of things that she needs to get done. And uh, it's really causing a point of contention, which is what we've tried to convey to management, that this is not a necessary move. I don't believe it would be uh, in the best interest of the company initially or even going forward. It's a slap in the face. It is a true slap in the face to every working man and every working woman in our union. Uh, The fact that you take these jobs away from senior crew chiefs or from anyone uh, in our, you know, negotiating body and you give them the managers. You know, what's so ironic is a couple of weeks ago, the company was very proud of the fact that they had reduced its managerial headcount by 30 percent. But what we are seeing is that, you know, they are reallocating those heads to our operation to take over our crew chief jobs. It's ridiculous. It's a complete slap in the face. It It's uh, I, I just I can't tell you just I, can't, I don't have the words to express how livid it makes me to know that they have such a disregard for my members. And uh, I, I just I do not believe that the. The direction that this company is taking, I believe that what they're doing is it's almost predatory. And when I say that, I say that because they're using the COVID-19 crisis as a method to weaken our workforce. And, and that to me, that's predatory. Well, you go to the uh, the positions that we're talking about. They're called control crew chiefs. So they've been in somewhat of a control position. Most of them at a desk and, and, you know, and dealing with a large number of clerks in the past, agents now, and, you know, and working collectively with the other crew chiefs. But let's go to that word control. So what I see happening is, is the company trying to take more control. It was mentioned that you were in the same meeting I was when we met with management recently. And the question was asked, how would CSM's taking over this work benefit the operation? Would it benefit the company short term, long term? And we never could get an answer as to how they felt like that CSM's uh, many who have no operational experience, some have some operational experience. Most of the ones that do have that experience haven't been in, in, in at the airport in years. We couldn't get an answer to that. The only answer we could get was contractually, we think that we can take that work over. I do not believe that they believe in their, even in their hearts, that they could do a better job than our crew chiefs. You know, our crew chiefs, whether through the system or just here in DFW, whatever, our crew chiefs are infinitely more experienced, more knowledgeable about the operation. They have the aptitude, they know the coworkers, they know the, the environment. Uh, no machine, no program, no computer, no Nothing like that could ever take the place of the human element. And, you know, again, our crew chiefs, specifically the ones in DFW, are the best crew chiefs in the system. I'll, I'll put our crew chiefs up against anybody else's. And, and again, it's a slap in the face. They could not honestly answer that because I believe they know that they can't do a better job than our crew chiefs. They are just it's a predatory move. 
and it's an opportunity for them to take jobs. That's that's clearly what it is. It's nothing more. Uh, I don't believe that they can do it more efficiently. I don't think that they can do it more effectively than our crew chiefs. No one does a better job than I control crew chiefs in DFW. I don't disagree. And again, I think you're speaking for the system. I think that the crew chiefs around the system have the same level of dedication to the work and to the members. And uh, I couldn't have said it any better. So here's the reality. We understand that COVID-19 has had an impact on American Airlines. It's had an impact on our country. As union leaders, we're not blind to that. I mean, we understand that. But the reality is American Airlines is choosing going down the path of reducing the crew chiefs, transitioning some of that work to management. The part-timers here at DFW is going to increase. We're going to have less full-timers, more part-timers. They've already told us in a meeting. Uh, We're going to go back down to three-man crews. Where do you see the operation going from here? Because people are going to come back. The flights are going to return. And where's DFW going to be? Because we just did this exercise of going to three-man crews. So just in my opinion, what, what every time they bring in someone else, they try to reinvent the wheel. You know, the reason why we have, you know, or had uh, six man crews was because it worked. It was necessary. You know, DFW airport is not like any other airport in the world. And, you know, it's, it's essentially four separate airports. The landscape alone uh, dictates that it's a, just a different environment. And so you have to you have to put those factors in when you're staffing an airport of this magnitude. What they're trying to do is create a cookie cutter airline where it looks the same in DFW as it does in uh, no disrespect to any other small station. But let's say a Phoenix or a Las Vegas. And it just can't be that way. You know, DFW is unique. We are responsible for 30 percent of the revenue of this company. And so, you know, something that is just that important to the financial success of the company should be handled and cared for in a different way. What I believe, and back to your point, what I believe is that um, we will go back to normal at some point. We will uh, get our, our passengers back. We will get our flights back. And we will again have to undertake the fight to get additional people added to to the gates. We will have to undergo the fight to get more headcount because that is really what is required in order to make DFW a successful operation. You know, we can come in with all of the technology and all of the, and we can dispute the technology, the handheld rover units. There's not been a week this summer where they have not gone down. And so, I have questions about the technology that's being used and certainly the technology that they're proposing to use in October. But the one thing that that is certain is that we will have to go back and fight for those jobs, whether it be the control crew chief jobs or or to get a four or five man crew. We have to fight for headcount. The challenges that we face as a local are tremendous. And the biggest part of it all is because they are being very predatory and they're using the COVID virus as the catch-all. They, they are not managing their way. They refuse to manage their way through any crisis. And the easy solution is to lose headcount. That's the easy solution. We've been through 9-11. We've been through bankruptcy. Now we're at COVID. And it, again, it's another opportunity for a major corporation to get a leg up on frontline workers. 
It's not just at American Airlines, but Americans should know better. They should know that we have worked with them for years to try to to provide the level best product that American deserves. And again, we're getting knocked down one more time. It's always on the backs of the workers. Absolutely. So speaking of on the backs of workers, uh, there's a lot of concerns about layoffs. I know the warn letters have uh, been sent out. Speak about the warn letters, what our members need to know about the warn letters, how they're going to receive notification, and so on. So the warn letters are a, uh, that goes to a federal act that requires companies to notify employees who are or could be possibly affected by furlough. In most states, I think the vast majority of states, they have to send it out 60 days prior to any uh, layoffs or furloughs. In the state of New York, I think it's 90 days. There are three states in which uh, employers have to notify the employees themselves. I think those states are California, New York, and Maryland. The other states in the union, companies can notify the bargaining units for those employees. So the CWA uh, was notified for the agents upstairs. The TWU and IM were notified for the ramp agents and for fleet uh, facility maintenance, GSE, et cetera, et cetera. So right now we're in a discussion with the company as to the methodology that will be used to personally notify uh, our affected members. The organization, the TWU has been notified Uh, We're waiting on the final number, the most accurate number by name. Uh, We have the numbers, but we want to make sure that the the names are clearly identified. And that's the reason why the master seniority list is so important, because those folks who need to be notified uh, should be notified based off that list. And there's a responsibility for each individual to be notified by the 31st. Okay, so hopefully the impact Uh, you know, won't be that great, at least on our members here in DFW. I mean, certainly system-wide, we hope no one gets laid off. You know, I mean, you have to look at all the factors going on. You know, they're moving some flights from AA to Envoy, some flights that we've done. Uh, Again, the reductions on the K-8 crews and stuff like that. So the reality is we're at a point of reduction. But the good news is there's a VLOA and a VEOP, and it has been extended to August 5th. So talk about that. I mean, the people that are here and choose to be here, I think they know uh, that things are changing. It's not going to be the same airline. I'm one of them. Uh, you're one. I mean, we're going to be here. So we're going to have to deal and fight and claw. But fortunately, there's an option for our members to get out if they choose to, and they're at a position to where they can. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah, so as it relates to the possible layoffs, as those people who've decided to, to take the early out, or to take a voluntary leave of absence, it decreases the number of folks who will be affected by a possible layoff. And and as I talk about layoffs, I wanna take a step back and say that our international association believes, and as do I, that there's language in our contract that prohibits the company from arbitrarily laying our members off. And I believe that there will be some fight from our association as it relates to these layoffs because we don't believe that the schedule changes or anything else that's impacting the uh, the operation rises to the level of layoffs. But having said that, those people who do exercise their options to either take the early out 
or the, the voluntary leaves of absence, uh, it decreases the number of possible uh, layoffs per station. So there is, that is, if there is a, a sunny side to it, that would be it. But again, it goes back to the premise that it's a shame that we are in this, in this environment where you know, our company has to offer these, these options to our members in order to reduce headcount. Again, like you said earlier, nobody's insensitive to the fact that the world is changing. And in fact, it's changed our airline and it's changed you know, the way we do business and the way people travel. But you know, it, it kind of just, it stings a little when you think that you know, four years ago and three years ago when our company had the opportunity to you know, save money, but instead they went and bought, they bought the stock back. And, and they did things uh, counter to what, you know, really good businesses do in the interest of the stockholders. And so, you know, it puts it put us in a situation where we are now. You know, I, 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 again, I get very frustrated because I, I think of the things that we've gone through, through negotiations and mediation, when you have Doug Parker saying, uh, and I quote, we'll never lose money again. And, you know, you have Robert Isom telling our folks uh, at the beginning of, of negotiations and all the way up to mediation that if you want a job with American Airlines, you'll always have a job. And and now we see that that's just not the case. Uh, it's frustrating and it's sad. Yeah, I agree. It's uh, it's, it's extremely disheartening. And uh the one thing I will say about you, Greg, you know, I know you, I know your passion, I know what you put into it and to see and to hear the frustration, you speak for me and you speak for our members. I mean, it's, it's just a sad thing. Uh, I have a lot of friends and, you know, in other parts of the company, flight attendants, pilots, they feel the same way. I mean, just the poor, poor business decisions that American has made and the bold statements they've made to put us in this position. Um, you know, we deserve better than this. We Absolutely. really do. I really don't have anything else to discuss. Uh, is there anything else that we didn't discuss that we need to talk about? Well, as always, uh, we want to kind of move our members to our mobile app, uh, to our website, to always look out for our uh, written communications that we try to put out at least every two weeks. Uh, we'll continue to do these podcasts. Uh, we'll continue to do videos. Uh, we are still exploring, like I said earlier, the opportunities to uh, have our meetings in a different venue in order to socially distance and be cognizant of, uh, of the state requirements. But uh, just more importantly, I just I can't emphasize enough how uh, how important the next couple of months will be. You know, I always say that we're family and that our union hall is home. And it's really important that we remain strong and we, re we remain unified. This company is attempting to take jobs away from us. They're attempting to replace us with management, which is, again, a slap in the face. We're losing some sisters and brothers, uh, potentially through layoff, furloughs. This is a difficult, difficult environment that we're entering. And it can, it can be to the point where it may break us, but we can't let it break us. Uh, we can't snipe at each other. 
We can't pick at each other. This is the time in which we have to stand firm with one another. We have to be together. We have to be united. We can't allow the company or any outside influences discourage us. Uh, it's very easy to, to, you know, be angry at the union. And it's very easy to be angry at one another. But the reality is that anger is misguided. And if we can convert that anger and the frustration into a different kind of energy, then maybe we can somehow move forward. It's a challenge that we have to accept and uh, we're going to accept it and we're going to do everything possible to ensure that our contract is enforced, that it is respected, and more importantly, that our members are appreciated and respected. Yeah, you mentioned the uh, animosity sometimes between our own members. The company is is uh, paying close attention to that. And I will say this, that American Airlines is trying to get people off the property rather than bring people on the property right now. So that's another reason why our members need to be mindful of what they say to each other and how they treat each other. We just don't work for the same airline we used to. We certainly don't. And and to your point, you know, we, we do have to be very cognizant of what we say and what we do uh, at work. And, and they are enforcing the workplace environment uh, policies. And so you just have to be very cognizant of that. But more importantly, it's just about how you treat people. You know, we should just treat each other a lot better. I agree. Greg, it's been a good talk. Uh, it's a hard talk. There's a lot of tough uh, conversations we've had here or topics, I should say, that we've talked about. But I appreciate you and uh, everything you do. Well, thank you, uh, Brian. I thank the board and uh, I thank the members. Uh, again, we have, you know, I can't I just can't uh, speak highly enough of our membership. Uh, they faced every challenge. And, uh, and I'm sure we'll continue to do so. Absolutely. All right. Well, I want to thank everyone for listening and be sure and tune in again for the next TWU Local 513 podcast. Have a great day. For questions and comments about today's podcast, please email podcast at TWULocal513.org. For more information about TWU Local 513, please visit www.twulocal513.org. Music licensed by Pond5. Today's podcast was produced, engineered, and edited by Tommy Engel.